coming back like at four or five in the morning and you just are thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I ever going to get this money back? And a lot of thoughts cross your mind. I definitely considered, should I try to rob a bank or a convenience store? It just got so, so bad so quickly. And I don't think I ever saw a way out of it. In a fast paced world, many of us struggle with overthinking and worry that leaves us feeling overwhelmed or stuck. In this podcast, we will hear stories of successful individuals and have conversations and ways to reach our true potential by embracing every micro detail of our identity, especially the flaws that make us unique. This is your host, Maria Grace Wolf. I'm a Filipino-American entrepreneur, psychotherapist, and mom of two boys. And my mission is to amplify diverse perspectives and experiences and inspire your journey to wellness and fulfillment. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. I am so, so excited to have with me today a friend of mine, Patrick Casal of All Things Private Practice. And I'm just going to dive right in. And Patrick, please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us your story. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed connecting over the last couple of months. My name is Patrick Cassell. I am in Asheville, North Carolina, and the owner of All Things Private Practice, the host of the All Things Private Practice podcast, retreat planner and speaker and private practice coach. I can't even think of all the labels anymore. It's a bit. <laughs> I love it. Confusing. Well, not confusing. I, I absolutely love it because you're using your creative talent and putting it to good use to serve others. So Tell us how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I know you and I talked a little bit on my podcast about what we're going to talk about today. And we wanted to talk a little bit about gambling addiction in my life and being neurodivergent and the obstacles that come with those things. And I can look back at being successful now feels surreal. There's a lot of times where I'm like, when is this going to stop? Like, when does this, when does the bottom fall out, so to speak? And I do appreciate like the humility check sometimes for myself and the imposter syndrome, but I had a gambling addiction for almost half of my life. I'm 35 now and up until 2000, I haven't gambled since 2012. So I guess it's been 10 years, but up until 25, it was, it wreaked a lot of havoc and it started probably before my freshman year in college. Like, I don't think I recognized that it was problematic at the time because I was young and my friends and I would just played poker at night. But I now looking back, realize like I was always the person who was like, let's play for more money. Let's play another game at two in the morning. Let's drive to the casino. And like at the time, that didn't really feel like an issue. I didn't really have a lot of money to lose. So it wasn't a big deal. I know that for some people, it's the adrenaline rush, right? When you're winning and some it's the a form of escape from a stressful life situation that's happening in their life. What was it for you? I had a, one of my best friends committed suicide my freshman year of college. And that was very painful and traumatic and challenging. And I know that gambling for me was escapism. We had two casinos up in northern New York where I went to school, one in Montreal, Canada, and then one in, one in a re reservation up there. And I found myself just going like almost every day and like no longer going to school. and lying to my parents and like telling them I needed money for whatever. And they never asked me because they didn't have a reason to. And I still remember telling my mom, hey, our entire suite floor is going skydiving and I need like $300 for the trip. And she 
didn't even question it. She was just like, okay, like I'll send you some money. And uh, it was stuff like that. And very quickly started to spiral to the point where like I was having to borrow money and stealing money and going to the casino and overdrawing my bank account by thousands of dollars and coming back like at four or five in the morning and you just are thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I ever going to get this money back? And a lot of thoughts cross your mind. I definitely considered, should I try to rob a bank or a convenience store? It just got so, so bad so quickly. And I don't think I ever saw a way out of it. I think that I remember basically putting school on pause and not really paying attention anymore to my classes and working full-time at a restaurant just so I could try to make some money to survive and I would end up spending it quicker than I had it. And that's just part of that cycle. And as you, there were wins in between and those wins were always bad because then you just spend more money, you lose more money. And there were definitely days like when I left the casino at four or five in the morning, you've been defeated. Like you're just so beat down. You're like beating the shit out of yourself or these decisions that you've made. And I definitely considered driving my car off a cliff or into a tree or like committing suicide because I didn't really see a way out of it. And I ended up doing that for years in New York and trying to get help simultaneously. Did your parents or any of your friends suspect that you were struggling? I didn't have friends. I didn't have a job. I just was like, I've got to get out of New York and maybe that will help. And it was just so hard to find a therapist who understood gambling addiction. It was like, It was very rare and you just couldn't find people who had that experience. And I ended up impulsively moving to Asheville, North Carolina in 2011. And I was running from my life, I think. And I didn't have a plan. And your problems follow you. It's not as if they just go away. And driving down to Asheville, I stopped at a casino in Pennsylvania for about 12 hours and left my dog in the car the whole time and kept checking on him, but spent all of the money I had to move down to North Carolina. And that that just that pattern just continued and you just feel so freaking lost during all of that and never foresaw a life ending in any sort of positive light. It was just like, when does this just end? Like, when does this come to an end? Ask myself that all the time and ended up moving here and really working through some stuff and still gambling. But I just remember going to the casino in Cherokee here. We have a Cherokee reservation. They have a casino about an hour away. And I just remember spending like my last $300 which was all I had and driving back and just being like, I cannot do this to myself anymore. I'm 25 now. This has been 10 years of my life. Like this is never going to end well if this continues. And some people, they never have that epiphany moment. And I'm an addiction therapist now and mental health therapist. And I don't know why that happened. I just know that was the last time I ever gambled. And it was June of 2012. So this June will be 10 years. And it was a lot. Yeah, it was not a not a fun decade of my life. I can say that with confidence. I absolutely believe that personal experience makes the best teachers because it really provides that credibility and, and trust for clients and just having that empathy too because you know exactly what it feels like in their shoes. And with that, you're able to help them more effectively. I also believe that in order for us to heal, which I am so happy that you have, we have to get to the root of it. And I'm only asking you this because I know that you have fully healed and you're at a much better place now. I'm curious to know about your childhood and the association of money 
I always have such a hard time like remembering childhood, but I did have a lot of childhood trauma and I do remember vividly my dad and my mom got divorced very young. And I do remember my dad is not someone who can express emotion intelligently. Like he's very vacant. There's just nothing there in terms of connection or attachment. And I remember he would give me money as a child, like ridiculous amounts of money. Hey, go upstairs. I put $50 under your pillow and it was like ridiculous, but I got so conditioned to associate money with love and started chasing that because it was like, this is obviously how you know that you are valued or loved is if you have this money and it became compulsive. There's this obsessive process with gambling and it was just like chasing that. And looking back now, I like to think if I had won a million dollars, would that have ever been enough? And the answer is no, I would have just spent it and then tried to win more. And that was always, it wasn't in my mind at the time, but knowing what I do now and all the healing work that I've done, it's, oh, wow, this was just a really unhealthy dynamic and a really unhealthy relationship around money in general. That's a really powerful insight when you start, you know, connecting those together. When did that come about? When did you realize that, you know, your addiction is related to your relationship with your dad? It's a good question. I don't think I realized that until like maybe five or six years ago, doing a lot of attachment focused therapy and working on some really patterning. I was just like, damn, like, all of the time, like he never said, I love you. He never said, I'm proud of you. None of that ever came up, but there was always like money involved. And that's all I could think about was like, I guess it's one way of buying love, but I also think it's just like, he didn't know how to be a parent. And I have made peace with that at this point in time, but he had a lot of childhood trauma too from his parents. And it, we all know it gets passed down and unless yeah. you do something about it and do the healing work. But I do think that, that was a major component of it. And it still plays a role. Like you wanted to know about becoming a successful entrepreneur. There has to be some drive there to pursue these goals. And I think that energy that went into gambling, that compulsion, that obsessive nature has gone into work in a way because it just switched from one thing to another. And work for me obviously feels a hell of a lot healthier. But like you can still see similarities in that process of, oh, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. And I think the association to this day, and I'm much more aware of it now, is that it still has something to do with that inner child part. That's you're not enough unless you do more. You're not enough, especially for him, unless you put, quote unquote, prove your worth. And I think that's been a big component of like more recent healing work and therapeutic stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's really important for someone to be self-aware in general, but for someone going through healing, self-awareness is crucial. I mean, we have to be aware of our behavioral patterns and, you know, when we start to notice that some of the undesired patterns of our behaviors that are showing up again, we can stay in front of it so we don't repeat the cycle. I still have this, I use this imagery a lot to reframe back to was like living in New York. I play soccer. I still play soccer and we're playing and I was just like so depressed. And I was thinking to myself, like, what comes next? What, what are you going to do before leaving for North Carolina? And 
that answer was never clear. I don't think I had a path. I don't think I had any sort of foresight into like, what, what happens next? Where do you work? How do you even keep a job? I didn't think I would have a future. So it feels unbelievably gratifying to be able to sit here and have conversations like this because it just never was a thing that I thought was possible. And you went from not knowing your future to this successful entrepreneur, the retreats, the podcast, the group practice, all things. Feels like a lot <laughs> when I hear that from other people. <laughs> I was just in my own therapy session. She's like, are you, you seem so tired. And it's true, but I do also feel very grateful. Got my master's, got graduated in 2015. And I think my headspace at the time, like many of us as therapists was like, okay, I'm going to get a job in community mental health. It's going to be salaried. This is going to be great. And I'm, I feel so like accomplished and community mental health, as many people have heard me say, it just was never for me. Spent a couple of years in really intense crisis environments. And I like the clients. I like the staff. I just didn't like the systems. And as someone who is neurodivergent, I think working in a nine to five job where you have to like sit in an office or be confined to one place or not be able to make up the rules as you go along was really challenging. And I left community mental health in 2017 and started my private practice. And again, it's interesting how you never see the next step as you like, don't know what else is out there. Assume then like private practice is it like, this is the end point for me. This is great. I get to make my own hours and schedule and do what I want to do, which was always very important to me. And then as that started, I think this isn't a piece of neurodivergence too, is boredom. And I always have had this mentality of, oh, I got really good at this. Now I'm bored of this and I need to move on to the next thing. And that happened with private practice where I was like, okay, this is great. I love it. But like, I don't think I want to do this as much anymore. And then I transitioned during COVID to a private practice coach. And I'd never expected that to take off as quickly as it did. And then I also simultaneously started my group practice during COVID. And I'm like, what am I thinking? But I think that is a part of how my brain works. And I will probably get bored of the things I'm doing right now and pivot again and again. And that is something about neurodiversity and neurodivergence that I really appreciate because the brain is just so creative and thinking outside the box. And once you realize like boredom doesn't mean failure, like boredom just means boredom and we need stimulation. Like we need to feel energized by the things that we're doing. And when that energy isn't there, we're probably going to move on to something else. And I know a lot of people who are ADHD who would say, I can't follow through on things. Like I can't finish things and they beat themselves up. And I used to do that, but like, I look at it now. So like I didn't finish it because it's no longer holding my attention. It's not that I can't follow through. It's just that this is not as exciting as the other thing that I'm working on. So my VA probably hates me for that. And when I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to create this retreat or like, I'm going to start this podcast. And she's like, I thought we were working on a four month course. I'm like, nah, I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. It's one of those things. I don't know if you relate at all to any of that. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? You are literally in my mind right now. You are taking the words right out of my head. I, I cannot just relate to it. I 
am living it. That is me. That is so me. And you're so right about boredom doesn't mean failure. I think that's exactly what I've been trying to tell myself (laughs) or trying to remind myself that just because I am no longer interested in it, um, it doesn't mean that I failed at it because I do. I start a lot of projects and sometimes they don't get finished or I'm done with it before it gets finished. And then I feel bad about it. So knowing that boredom doesn't mean failure just means I need to move on to something more exciting. Isn't that like so off in the headspace though? Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm in it. I'm like creating it. And then it's like, this doesn't really hold my attention anymore. And now I do the next thing. And I think so often we're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you just finish the thing that you started? And it's the more we learn about the neurodiversity in general, it's like the brain just doesn't work in a neurotypical way where like point A leads to point B. Point A leads to D, which leads to Z, which potentially comes back to A, but maybe it never does. And that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And earlier you mentioned that you play soccer. And it also, this has also played a major role in your life and your mental health and wellness. When did you start playing soccer? As early as I can remember, probably like four years old. And then Ah. I've played collegiately and still play here. Way less, I'm way less skilled than the 20 year olds who are on my team now, but it is still definitely like my biggest social outlet. And also like, I know you've been running nonstop, which is so amazing. It's the same, like that endorphin rush, but it's also, it keeps you grounded in a way. It keeps you like disciplined to say every Friday and Sunday, this is what I do. And that's been the entire 10 years that I've lived here. Getting into soccer leagues has always been important and it's just really helped with connection and a physical outlet. I think it's the only place in my life where I don't think about anything except for the 70 to 90 minutes that are on the field. Yeah. Don't you love it? You're totally present. Playing was helpful because you're like getting some activity, you're being physical, you're getting that adrenaline going. And again, it was just like good escapism of I don't have to think about any of the other stuff going on in my life for the next hour. And that was also really helpful too. Yeah, that is definitely a healthier form of escapism when we allow ourselves to take a break and pause and allow our mind to recharge our body to relax and be away from reality for a few hours. That's such a great way to take care of ourselves and our mental health. Give your brain a pause from our ever so busy lives. For sure. And I've made some good friendships throughout the way. And that has, that was definitely helpful too, because I think once you become connected to people, you can tell them like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And they would check in on me or they would like pick me up for soccer games if I needed a ride. And I think that was always really helpful to have that in the, in the, in my corner too. Yeah. So Patrick, tell us what you're up to now. What's going on in your world? Too much. Your Got latest. the whole thing private practice podcast. That's definitely become the passion project. And then also hosting entrepreneurial retreats. I really enjoy traveling and connecting people. And that's been really beautiful to see come to fruition. That was always a pipe dream. And now it's like, you get paid to help people travel and experience life and build their businesses. I'm going to do the Ireland retreat again next March. So really looking forward to just continuing doing those and cool parts of the world. I help therapists and entrepreneurs truly embrace who they are in an authentic sense. And also 
learn to step outside of the box and learn to create things that feel different, unique, and special to them so that they can create successful businesses that feel really energizing instead of feeling like you've recreated the energy and the grind of corporate America. So that's been the focal point more recently. Nice. Do you have any helpful tips for our listeners? Yeah. Do your own work. Really important. Regardless if you're neurodivergent or not, if you're a therapist, be in therapy or go to therapy if you can, when you can. Learn really, try really hard to embrace both sides of it. It is not, it is not an all or nothing thing. And learning about the things that feel really special, the way the brain works for you creatively. And also trying hard to give yourself some compassion around the parts that are really challenging for you. I think that's really important. Space, creativity not shaming yourself from potentially losing interest in things that once held your interest. So just allowing yourself to have your own process, I think is really important. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Where can we find you? My website is allthingspractice.com. That's where you can find information on retreats, coaching programs, and other cool stuff. And then all things private practice podcast is on all major platforms. So you can follow, download, subscribe, share. Oh, and I do have one more question. Do you have a favorite quote? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. Like I know I have favorite Anthony Bourdain quotes <laughs> and I know that I have favorite books that he has written as well as I revisit reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings pretty often. But off the top of my head, I can't remember the quote, even though I have a picture of him and a quote behind me. I actually have it. It says, okay. travel changes you as you move through this life and this world. You change things slightly. You leave marks behind, however small. And in return, life and travel leaves marks on you. And I love that because I think travel is a beautiful and painful process. And it's a great way to experience life and culture and just other people in general. Ah, oh, thanks for sharing this quote. I love it now. I, I totally share the same passion for travel. I absolutely love traveling as well. And if I could just travel the world as a job, that would be so awesome. And, you know, doing my thing. I believe that we learn so much about the world, about ourselves, about each other when you're traveling, it really does bring out this inner part of you, right? When we're discovering things for the first time. I think traveling taught me to see things with not just my eyes, but with my heart, because it really, it really does bring out the child curiosity, that wonder, that joy. It's hard to describe really, but it is a feeling. It's a feeling that you get that, that makes you want to go and do more traveling. When did you discover your love for travel. I think I've always had a wanderlust mentality, mentality, definitely an Enneagram 7. And I think maybe the first time for me is we went to Ireland when I was 18. And I was just like mesmerized by the accents and it was enchanting and beautiful. And I was just like, oh, there's so much more world out there. And I just love being able to move through it. And I feel very grateful to have the means to do so now. And I love eating food with strangers and talking to them and learning about who they are and their culture and their family. And I think that's always been the most beautiful part for me. Patrick, thank you so much for taking us on this journey and sharing with us your life. And it's so brave of you to be so authentically transparent with your struggles as well as your wins. And I believe that it is super inspiring 
and and I know that a lot of people will find this episode really valuable. And I hope that it helps people know that there can be a light at the end of the tunnel, especially when they're struggling. Absolutely. I am so sure of it. And I really do hope to see you again soon in person. And I'm hoping to join one of your retreats in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. And I'm glad we've become friends. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. If you resonate at all with the stories on this podcast, and you're thinking about a change in your current situation, in your career, in your relationship, or maybe even in yourself, what's holding you back from taking the first step? Find out by taking the What's Your Biggest Self-Sabotage quiz that you can find on my website at mariagracewolf.com. Until next time, stay kind and own your journey. Thank you again for your time today. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review. I would so appreciate it. The high rate and reviews will help others find the podcast so we can amplify, normalize, and break the mental health stigma. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. This is given with the understanding that neither the host or the guest are providing legal, mental health, or other professional information. If you need a professional, you should find one. This podcast does not substitute for personal professional services.